Hi, Kia. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Kasten. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I know that the listeners are going to get a ton from uh, our conversation. And so I wanted to start off with just sharing with the listeners how we know one another, and then we can jump into some of the questions, and you can tell everybody your story, which is quite an amazing story. For everyone that's listening, Kia and I met shortly after I moved to Arizona. She was the first friend that I had outside of the people that I knew when I moved there. And I had decided I need to get in the business community in Phoenix. So I found an event on meetup.com for entrepreneurs and um, went to the event and walked in, met a couple people, and pretty soon I met a gentleman who said, oh my gosh, you have got to meet this lady over here. And I said, okay, yeah, that sounds great. And so he pulled me over and pulled you over and we connected and it was almost like no one else was in the room. That's the way I remember it. We just talked and talked and talked and totally got each other. And at one point I looked around and people are just standing around looking at us like we were the main event or something. And um, we have been inseparable since and have been through so much together. Thank God we had each other because we were both going through some times that where we really needed each other. And it's been an amazing friendship for 11 years. That is your account of how we met. But I think it's only fair <laughs> that I okay. give my account of yeah, how we sure. met. Like Captain, um, I needed to get more involved in the entrepreneurial community in Phoenix. Uh, unlike Captain, I was dragged to the event um, by the same gentleman <laughs> who came over to Captain and said, you absolutely have to meet this woman. Um, he had mentioned the same exact thing to me. And as I turned around to go find this woman that he wanted uh, me to introduce myself to, I see this glowing light, almost as if a spotlight had been cast on her. Um, her hair is, her golden locks, I should say, are blowing in this uh, manufactured wind somehow. And she's got this beautiful smile on her face, and it's almost as if the angels were singing in the background. And I turn around, and I see the most captivating woman that I've ever seen in my life. Not only is she beautiful, but she's funny and engaging and smart and fierce. And I said to myself, I have to make her my friend. And as you said, uh, we have been friends ever since. Well, that was very nice of you. <laughs> I, I love your account of it. I thank you for all the nice compliments. It really was um, kind of a surreal moment. I, I don't usually meet people that I connect with like that that quickly. And so, you know, we really need to um, thank the gentleman that saw that in both of us. And, yes. Um, and introduced us because I think not only have we helped each other a lot, but I, I do think that collectively we can help a lot of other, especially women out there. And so that's one of the reasons I chose to have you on as a guest because your story is really inspiring and can teach a lot of others. So if you don't mind, we'll uh, jump on into that. Sounds good. Okay. So uh, let's start off with you sharing with the listeners a little bit about your background, how you grew up you know, what that all looked like and all the things that happened to you and with you and for you and so on. Absolutely. So before I start, um, I want to say to the listeners that despite some of the things that I'm going to share, uh, which may sound horrifying to some of you, I don't consider myself a victim. Uh, I'm truly of the mindset that um, as souls, before we enter this world, we choose our circumstances. We choose the parents we're going to have. We choose the situations that we need to have in order to shape uh, who we are as beings. So I just want to make it clear that I in no way consider myself to be a victim of my circumstances. Catherine, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that is 
has made you so successful and happy and the, the reason that you've thrived even after all that you've been through is because you have that attitude. So it absolutely makes sense to me and it's one of the things I love about you so much. Aww. Well, thank you. Uh, so with that, I'll, I'll just uh, start out uh, without getting too gory in, into the details. Um, for a number of reasons, my mother wasn't able to uh, take care of me and uh, my sister uh, for the first part of our lives, it, just for a number of reasons. Uh, she just wasn't equipped. She had us very young. Um, she had me at 21. And she wasn't married. Well, she got married after she got pregnant. And with my sister, she wasn't married. So I remember spending um, the majority of my early childhood with either my grandparents or strangers or friends of my mother's. I don't remember her a lot uh, in the early part of my life, which I see now that created kind of a feeling of abandonment. Um, I, I really felt like I had to take care of myself. Yeah. Um, can you tell a story about you walking down the long driveway with Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I, I just wanted you to tell that, that story because it paints a picture of what your life was like. Yes, ab- absolutely. So my mother had uh, been married a second time. And uh, the gentleman that she married, uh, I guess they were having problems in the relationship, and my mother had decided to take a job uh, upstate. Uh, We lived in New Jersey at the time. And uh, he had agreed to take care of my sister, me, my sister, and at the time my little brother. I think my brother was like two or three. And it was his biological son. Uh, But, of course, my sister and I were his stepchildren. Um, He... (laughs) And this is a little embarrassing, but he had been having an affair with a woman across the street. And as soon as my mother left, uh, she moved in. And, oh, my gosh. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, she, I remember the night uh, shortly after my mother left, uh, she gave my sister and I a bath and packed up all of our clothes into a garbage bag. And uh, my stepfather drove us out to our grandparents' house. And our grandparents lived on a farm. And he must have dropped us off in the evening because I remember it being dark when he dropped us off at the end of the driveway. And the driveway was about a quarter of a mile long. And I was seven, and my sister must have been about four. And uh, he told us to get out, and we grabbed, uh, I grabbed the trash bag, and I grabbed my sister's hand, and we started walking down the driveway. And I think that was the moment I became a grown-up in my head because I remember thinking to myself, how do I get a job? Like how, as wow. a seven-year-old, do I earn money? Um, and if my grandparents won't let us stay, where can we live? How do I oh get in touch with my mom? So it just, I, I remember feeling like, okay, it's, this is my responsibility now. Wow. Right, where, where most kids are thinking about what, they, what the new toy is that they want or, you know, what they're going to do at recess tomorrow, you're thinking about how you're going to support yourself and your little sister at seven. Wow. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and I, I think that was the moment my childhood died. Um, and I remember growing up and a lot of the kids around me would say things like, you seem like an adult in a child's body. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how I felt. Um, sure. I think when we go through traumatic things um, at such a young age, we um, shift the way we think about things. Um, but to that point, I think that's helped me a great deal um, in becoming the person that I am, living in many different homes with many different people and, and personality types. I, I learned how to read people very quickly. Um, I learned to quickly assess when a situation was dangerous or when a particular person was dangerous. Um, Instinctively, I could tell when there were men that it would be (laughs) dangerous to me if I stayed in a room with them alone. Um, Uh Your flight or flight instincts uh, become very sharp. Um, But I think that's helped me as an adult in that 
I am quick to assess the situation. I am quick to adapt to situations. And when you're young and in a new home and you like the people who are in the home and you want them to keep you, you become very charming. So um, mm-hmm. I learned how to be nice to people and smile and engaging, and uh, I am grateful for uh, learning those skills at a young age. Yeah, and those are great skills to have. Unfortunately, your childhood had to be robbed for it to happen, you know. So, um, but again, way to find the silver lining in it, right, and use it to your advantage. So, yeah, so can you fast forward till, let's say, you know, around 14 years old? Absolutely. So, um, like many children uh, who uh, feel abandoned and don't have stable home lives, um, you develop promiscuity, um, and it's as a way of seeking attention and the love that you crave that you're not getting at home. So um, when I was 12, I believe, I came to live with my mother full time. And at that time, she had married a man uh, who lived in Indianapolis. And we didn't, and we moved to Indianapolis, I want to say, when I was 13. And that was absolutely devastating to me. I didn't like her new husband. I was uh, taken away from my grandparents, who had been a stable force in my life off and on since I was born. And even if I was in a new home, I knew eventually I would end up at my grandparents' house, because I always had. Um, So when we moved across the country to Indiana from New Jersey, I, I felt like my world had been ripped away. Um, right. And uh, I did what a lot of teenagers do um, at that point. I began to rebel. Um, when I got my first period, my mother had a conversation with me that went something like, you're a woman now. Don't get pregnant. If you ever get pregnant, I will throw you out on the street and you'll have to raise your baby alone. That was pretty much the extent of that conversation. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, when I got my period, I had just moved back in with my mother after, uh, you know, a a many-year absence. So we didn't have a close relationship, and I'm not sure she knew how to talk to a teenager. So that's kind of how that conversation went. Um, And I didn't want to mess up her new marriage because I, for all I knew, I could end up on the street, and maybe she would choose him instead of me. So... I, uh, when I did realize that I was pregnant, and uh, like you said, I was 14, I didn't know, one, that, that I was probably about five months along. I was talking to a girl, and she talked about being pregnant, and she had had an abortion, which is something I had never heard of. Despite all the homes that I had lived in and the people I had lived with, these topics never came up. And again, I'm 14, so... You know, right, you're normally right. talking about Barbies and things like that. So I sure. began to ask her, how, how did you know when you're pregnant? And she talked about, you know, her breast being swollen and not having a period. And I was thinking, wow, I haven't had one of those in a while. And I was thinking wow. about my boobs look kind of swollen and I have to gain weight. Well, I think most girls, their natural instinct was to go talk to their mother. Unfortunately, my mother was away on a two-week cruise and had left my sister and I at home with $200. Um, now, in all fairness, there was a store at the end of the block, and I was very proficient at going and buying weekly groceries because I had been doing it since I was about nine. So I, I think she felt like we were fine, and um, my stepfather's mother lived about 10 miles away and we could call her if there was a serious issue. But at the time, I was completely alone. So I I didn't know what to do. And coincidentally, I think the time that I got pregnant was one of these situations where she had left us alone for a couple weeks and, you know, Mm -hmm. I had Mm -hmm. a boy over and, you know. So anyway, when I realized this, 
when I realized I was pregnant, I didn't know what to do. All I could think was, oh, my God, I'm going to end up on the street and I'm going to have to raise this child alone. And I didn't know what abortion was. So all I could think was to hide it. And at that mm-hmm. time, I was underweight anyway. I was very skinny. So when I began to gain weight with the pregnancy, I just looked normal. And I wore baggy clothes and I walked around the house with a robe. And I do want to explain that during this time, my mother was afflicted by really severe headaches, um, migraines, we call them now. But at the time, the doctors didn't know what it was. Um, she had had brain surgery uh, when I was 10, which is one of the circumstances that kept her from um, being a full-time mom. And that surgery caused her to have severe headaches and um, nausea and She couldn't deal with light, so she spent a lot of her time in her bedroom in a great deal of pain. So it was easy to hide because my stepfather's uh, attention was primarily focused on my mother. And my sister was, you know, three years younger, so, you know, she was focused on being a teen. So I, I hid in my room for eight, nine months. And then in my ninth month, I, um, my mother had scheduled an appointment for my sister and I to get our hair done. It was New Year's Eve. And the place we had to go was about a mile away. So my sister and I walked and I remember going into labor. I didn't know at the time it was labor, but I remember having a lot of pain while getting my hair done and being extremely uncomfortable and going, wow, what is this? And I felt this overwhelming need to go to the bathroom. And it was just, it was horrible. Um, the, the people doing my hair just thought I was sick, like, you know, stomach flu or something. So they were kind enough to drive my sister and I home after we were done. And I went up to my room. And I just remember feeling more and more pain and not understanding what was happening to me. Uh, and then I began to feel this urge to push. And so I thought, oh, well, I guess everybody's going to find out. And so I began to scream. And my stepfather walked into the room and said, what's going on? And I said, I think I'm having a baby. So um, he could see that I was crowning by that time. So he called 911 and I delivered in the bedroom of, of my mother's home when I was 14 years old. Wow. Um, and there was a great deal of debate uh, that went on in our family as to what to do because my mother was in no shape to raise a child. And, of course, I'm 14, and I think I'm in the eighth grade at the time. Oh, my um, gosh, yeah. So, they're, you know, obviously I can't. And my mother and stepfather had decided that they were going to move from Indianapolis to Arizona at the first of the year because the climate was supposed to be better for her migraines. So it was decided that I would take um, my son to New Jersey and my grandparents would raise him at such time that I could take care of him and then I would then fly to Arizona and uh, begin school there. And then my stepfather and sister would joined my mother and I um, shortly thereafter. It wound up being a couple of months because they had to sell the house. Okay. So that is how uh, my son started his life. I, it, we brought him, I stayed in the hospital a week, and then okay. um, I brought him home, and I think I was with him for two days. I had no idea what to do or how sure. to do it. And then I got on a plane and spent two days in New Jersey and then flew to Arizona and uh, waited for my mom to arrive, and then uh, that's how I arrived in Arizona for the first time. Jeez. All right. Well, so, okay, that's a lot right in itself. But let's, uh, let's fast forward a little bit for the listeners, because this story does really have a great, great ending, you guys. So uh, keep listening, and Kia, if you could tell us kind of what – happened next and how long it was before you were able to have your son back and raise him yourself and tell us some of that part of the story and then let's talk about your first marriage. Absolutely. So um, coming to Arizona was 
kind of like starting over. I could pretend I was a normal teenage girl. No one knew my history or anything about me. So um, I did my best to feel like a normal teenager, which was impossible (laughs) Um, Uh because I had been through all of these traumatic experiences and I had never gotten any therapy or help or been able to talk to my mother about um, the things that had happened. And um, I was extremely resentful as a teenager because I blamed her for the things that happened to me, and I felt like she wasn't there for me. I did not like my stepfather. He was abusive uh, in a number of ways, and it was traumatic being in the house with him and my mother uh, and my sister. So it was my plan to escape from that house as quickly as I could, but I had to be pragmatic about it. I I had to be methodical and I had to make sure that um, if I did leave, I was going to be able to support myself. So that is where my obsession with education started. I took as many classes in high school as I could because I wanted to graduate early and Mm -hmm. I wanted to get uh, as many scholarships as I could because my plan was to Uh, go off to university and um, have that pay uh, my way. Uh, I was successful in getting, uh, graduating from high school early, uh, a year early actually. Um, I was fortunate enough that during my senior year, not only was I able to take the classes that I need, but I also got a job at a national bank downtown. So I'd spend half my day in school and then I would take a bus downtown and and work for four hours and that's where I got my introduction to corporate America okay and so I did that for a year graduated and was able to successfully secure a scholarship to the University of Arizona Uh, went down to the university and promptly had a mental breakdown (laughs) oh boy it's not that I should be surprised yeah Oh, just because a person is um, academically ready for college and life away from home does not mean that emotionally they are ready. And you know, in your first year of college, no one tells you where anything is. You kind of have to figure all of that out, which if you're coming from a quote-unquote normal environment, you can handle the stresses of that. But on top of trying to manage my emotions and and dealing with, you know, the things that have happened to me and try to deal with my new life, um, I think my brain imploded. (laughs) Sure. um, I'm surprised it didn't happen earlier, but, you know. (laughs) It just needed the right triggers to do it. So there was an attempted suicide. You know, actually, I was, just, I was just thinking about something. Maybe it was because all of a sudden you were in an, a place where you finally could break down. Because whenever oh. you were around your mom, you know, or in that environment, survival made, you, made your brain keep going. And you had to. And now you're at university and you're away and, and in some respects you're safe. And you can maybe relax a little bit. And at that point, maybe that defense system shut down and took a break for a while. And that's maybe, I don't know, just a thought. That is a really good point. Um, oh, Kasson, I love that insight. That, 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 that resonates with me. That, I, I think yeah. you're absolutely right about that. It wasn't until that time that, I really had a chance to look at the circumstances of my life and ask, who am I and what the hell am I doing? Right. So I came back home, which was absolutely devastating for me um, because I was back in that house that I absolutely hated. Toxic, and yeah. yeah. I, I needed an escape plan. Well, it was during that time that I reconnected with a boy that, um, and by this time he was a man, that I was seeing uh, when I was in high school. Um, He, of course, was older than me, and um, he was going to a technical college here in town. 
And uh, again, we reconnected, and he had graduated and moved back to his hometown of San Jose, California. And he invited me for a visit, and so I, I went to San Jose and realized, wait, um, this was an escape. And, and I noticed a pattern in my life that after a couple of months or a couple of years, I would always change locations. Either I was changing schools or I was changing houses or I was changing families, and this would be another opportunity to change my location. So after I came back from the visit, uh, we decided to get married and I would move to California. So I was 18 and let my mom know that I was going to be moving to California and I would get my escape. And uh, I moved to California, got pregnant with my second son, and by this time I had him, I was 19. So I was living in Northern California, no education or, or very little education. Um, I initially, when I was young, I, I wanted to be a doctor and I'm looking at my life going, okay, I'm a mother of two children, no education. What the heck am I going to do? And I couldn't just be a receptionist for the rest of my life because I realized you can't feed a family on that. So. Sure. That is when I renewed my relationship with education. And uh, my husband at the time wasn't a big fan because he didn't understand how we were going to pay for it. And I just knew that in order for us to have a good life, I had to go to school. So uh, I went back to school. I pursued nursing, which I didn't find out until I was accepted into nursing school that I couldn't stand the sight of blood. So I've heard that before. I've heard that before. That was a prerequisite for even taking classes for that degree. (laughs) You you would think that they would introduce you to blood and sputum and stools right away to see if you can handle it. (laughs) Right. Um, But but I'm the type of person. Once I make a commitment to do something, I I have to do it. So that is true. That is true. And I just said, all right, I'm going to have to put myself in a situation where I'm not dealing with blood. I'm not dealing with, uh, so I knew I couldn't work in a a hospital. So I looked at Uh all the non-traditional things that I could do with my education that didn't involve, you know, hospitals, which was great because I got to work in clinical research. I got to be a practice administrator. I worked in doctor's offices for insurance companies. I did specimen collection. Um, So it was wonderful. And it was during this time that uh, I had my third child and I unfortunately uh, realized I was incredibly unhappy uh, as an adult. And I couldn't figure out why because my husband had started a business and it was becoming incredibly successful more education I got, the smarter I felt, more worthy I felt. Uh, my kids were getting older, um, and I had started the process of reclaiming the rights to my son, So, I, the son that I had in New Jersey. So I couldn't understand why I was so unhappy. Um, I realized later that I never took time to process the feelings um, that I had from early in my life. So I just carried them around as baggage. So, and, and having a new challenge kept me busy every time it was was an obstacle. Exactly. Oh, something I needed to overcome. I'm good to go. So I eventually got custody of my oldest son when he was almost nine. Oh, Did you have that, to, um, <laughs> that was quite challenging, as you can imagine. You my, it's, it seems like it would be odd, right? Because it's that he was being raised by your grandparents, and now you want your son back. You're an adult. You have two other children. You would think that that would be a little bit easier process, like your grandparents would understand, but it doesn't sound like it was. No, unfortunately. And, and the process had begun a couple years earlier. I initially reached out to them when I was 18 
um, uh-huh. and said, hey, I'm ready. And they said, no, you're not. And thank goodness they did because I, I, I was not. Uh, I okay. had just gotten married and realized soon after that I was pregnant. So I was going to have another child and then to bring, you know, a three-year-old into it or, uh, yeah, he would have been three and a half at the time. It just, it, it wasn't right. So we waited a little bit longer and it was right before we had decided to move back to Arizona that I said, okay, we've, we've got to, you know, bring uh, Andre back into our fold. And initially my grandparents balked and said, no, he's ours and you can't have him, which uh, completely understandable. They had raised him since he was two weeks old, and, and they felt like he was their son. Um, but mm, I knew that, yeah. you know, they were both in their 70s, so they, it wasn't feasible for them to raise a child. And he was isolated on their ranch, and so he didn't have a lot of children that he played with. And he, it just it wasn't a, a good situation for him any longer. So um, we finally convinced them, and I'm not sure which relative I need to give credit to for this, but they realized that uh, they should give up the fight and um, allow us to, us being my uh, husband and I, to to raise him. Mm -hmm. So I was able to go to New Jersey when Andre was eight and a half Mm -hmm. and bring him to live with us in Arizona and at the time, I was five months along with my youngest son, but I didn't tell my grandparents because I thought if they knew that we were having another yeah. child, that they would, you know, not relent. Uh, so okay. Andre went from being an only child to being in the oldest brother. And my huh. son, wow. Antoine, went from being an only child to being a middle child. <laughs> and then <laughs> shortly after uh, we got Andre, uh, Orion was born. So right. I went from having one son to having three in the span of wow. like four months. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so that was again, kind of I should, Again, I should be shocked, but I'm not. Because <laughs> if anyone can do it, it's you. Yeah, it's, again, it's a challenge to overcome, and I think I was able to keep going in my life because, oh, here's another challenge. Here's another challenge. And I should So let me ask talk. you something on that. Let me just ask you something on that point. Sure. So do you think um, it would seem like that would be an exhausting way to live and also a constant distraction? So do you think that, I mean, I... I'm amazed at all that you've achieved and we'll get to all of that. But would you recommend that life to others or? Oh, God, no. (laughs) No. Introspection is probably the most valuable gift we can give ourselves. I had my second breakdown because I was forced to look at my life. As I I mentioned, I was incredibly unhappy. I had all the trappings of a quote-unquote good life, but emotionally I was in so much pain and I couldn't figure out where the pain was coming from. You know, materially I had everything. I had the big house, I had the big car, I had the rock on my finger, you know, we had Mm -hmm. money in the bank, we had children, and what else could a person want? But I wanted nothing but to kill myself. I just, every day was a struggle, opening my eyes, forcing a smile on my face, just... Mm -hmm. I, it was so incredibly painful, and the only way that I could think to escape from it was to end it all. And that, and my youngest son actually saved my life the second time. Um, I was teaching at a school for uh, surgical techs and pharmacy technicians, and I, one of the students described me as looking gray. Um, she, she said, Miss Ratliff, and that's what they called me at the time, 
there's something wrong with you. I had lost a bunch of weight. I was um, skinny as a skeleton. And I had decided that day that I, I wasn't going to do it anymore. Um, my mother lived with me. Um, I was her caregiver at the time. That's a whole other long story. She had that, that'll early be another onset, podcast episode. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but she had early onset Alzheimer's and dementia and couldn't uh, survive on her own. So um, she lived with my ex-husband and I at the time. So I was just slowly siphoning off pills of hers and kept them in a baggie. And on the designated date, mm. I was just going to get in the tub, fill it with water, take the pills, and give myself a nice, sweet exit. And hopefully, you know, the, the cleanup that would be necessary would be to just drain the tub. And I honestly thought that it would just be that simple and that, you know, the children would be raised by their father and life would go on for them. Um, mm. But... My youngest son walked into the room, uh, my uh, master bedroom at the time, and he saw the baggie and he thought it was candy. And he said, Mommy, can I have some? And I said, No, these are pills. He's like, Oh, why do you have so many? And just his innocence and the way he asked the question, I thought, Oh, wait, what am I doing? Oh, this is crazy. What? Oh, what am I doing? So the next day I I went into school and one of the other teachers handed me a book and she said, this book saved my life when my brother was in a very serious car accident and almost died and I think it will do wonders for you. And the book she handed me was The Game of Life and How to Play It. And I said, okay, okay. And it happened to be a Friday, and I spent the entire weekend reading that book. And it was almost as if someone had turned a light on for me. Like the world that was dark was all of a sudden illuminated. And I thought, Mm -hmm. oh, wait, why didn't anybody tell me any of this? This is like a manual for life. This is amazing. Well, part of that illumination was realizing that I could not stay in the situation that I was in, that I wasn't happy with my husband. Um, Mm -hmm. I I hated being my mother's caretaker, and I just, it it was impossible for me um, to stay where I was and stay alive. So I made the decision for my mother and I to move out of the house and and into her home, because she kept her home when she moved in with us, and okay. that um, I would share custody of my children with my ex-husband just because I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. So that was the first time that I left. And it was devastating. I, one of the reasons I got married is because I felt like I could give my children the life that I never had, the stable home life with two parents that loved them And they would know every day where their meals were coming from, who was going to be there when they got home from school, where they were going to live, which Mm -hmm. um, is a feeling I I didn't have growing up. You didn't have, right. You wanted that for your kids. Sure. Exactly. It was worth staying in a marriage where I was really unhappy. And I had been in the marriage about 10, no, 11 years at that point. But I realized that, you know, if they didn't have a mom, it it wouldn't really matter. So um, that's when I made that choice. And uh, my ex-husband and I were separated for two years. But after a while, just seeing the look on my children's faces and how unhappy they were not having their parents together, just it killed me because I felt Mm -hmm. like I was somehow betraying them and doing to them what I thought in in my mind my mother had done to me, putting her needs above (laughs) my sister and I. And I thought, I can't do this to them. So I, mm-hmm. I went back. It, it, regardless of how unhappy it would make me, I said, I have to go back. These, I'm only going to have them for 18 years of their lives. And so what if I'm unhappy? It, it's worth mm-hmm. the sacrifice to make sure that they grow up in a home and become good human beings. Because I know what emotional scars are caused when um, children grow up in fractured homes or feel abandoned or feel like their parents 
don't love them. And I didn't want those scars for them. So I stayed in that marriage until my two oldest kids were out of the house. And um, my youngest son was 13. And he had just graduated from junior high and was going into high school. And I thought, okay, you know what? I can do this. I, I can move on from this marriage and, um, and, and try to be happy. I didn't know what happy looked like. I just didn't want to be unhappy anymore. And I knew I had knew to get that therapy. that situation wasn't good. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I, I knew I had to focus on me. I knew I needed therapy. I yeah. knew that the universe rewards courage. And mm-hmm. yes, it would be scary to be on my own. And uh, yes, uh, it would be hard without the safety and, and security of my ex-husband, but I, I had to do it. And in 2008, yeah. I, I left my marriage for good. Yeah. And that was, um, yeah, you and I met right before that, 2007. And I remember that so distinctly. We were both in, I, I wasn't married, but I was in a, a not he- non-healthy relationship and needed to get out. And uh, I remember long conversations that we had about this. And I thought, wow, I, ca- I can't even imagine what it's like to leave somebody after 20 years, you know. But you did it, and I was so proud of you. Thank you. It was one of the hardest things I have ever had to do in my life um, because I had left before and I knew how hard that was. Um, but when I left before, we both were under the um, premise that I would be back, that I just needed time to figure things out. But I Got needed it. this time. It was, it was for real that I, I would not be back. I could not do this again. And my youngest son was like, I, I've known this house all my life. What, what yeah. am I going to do? And I, <laughs> that's when I realized I had done a good job because I had yeah. never known one house my entire life. And sure. he, he said, you know, nothing that, that bad has ever happened to me. And I thought, oh, my God, that's amazing. <laughs> good for yes. you, kid. Yes. You made it to 13 and nothing bad's ever happened right. to you. Yeah. Exactly. You, you've had the same parents your whole life. You've got the same brothers. You've had the same house. Yeah. You've gone to the same school. You've had the same friends. That, I was like, high five. You know, that's awesome. And then I completely devastated his world by getting a divorce. So uh, I'm sure he has some emotional scars from that. But I, I think firm... every, everybody does. You know, yes, <laughs> he, he knows he, he does have a lot more stability than most and turned out pretty dang good. So I think he did. A good he job. has a solid foundation that he yeah. could lean on and develop some coping mechanisms. And I realize now that we kind of need stuff to happen when we're young in order to cope as adults. Because yeah, to build the first skills, bad thing. Sure. That, yes, absolutely. If the first bad thing that happens to you, you're 22. You don't have experience to draw on, but what are you going to do? That's right. Very true. Very good point. Yeah. And so I want to talk a little bit about, I mean, you've mentioned several times uh, the education piece, and you are one of the most educated women I've ever met. And I just am a little bit in awe of somebody that came from such a broken background, was able to stay focused and know that education was their ticket out of there, out of that lifestyle, and had a variety of jobs and careers. And the reason I bring that up is because I want listeners to know that it is you have the power to change your situation at any time in your life, through education, through changing career paths, through getting out of a bad relationship, fighting for what you want. So I was wondering if maybe you could maybe give some, like what would advice be that you would give other young women that were trying to figure it out, figure life out, and get really, you know, what they wanted out of life? That is an excellent point, Captain. Um, My saving grace in life has been education. I realized early on that education gives you options. Uh, Someone had said once, oh, a degree is just a piece of paper. Um, But I realized early on 
that that piece of paper opened doors. Yes, it doesn't mean that just because you have a degree that you're somehow smarter or more knowledgeable than someone else, but you have to be qualified in order to be considered for the opportunities that you want. And Very good. Um, That's a very good distinction. Very good distinction. So I said, um, once I set out on my educational path for the second time, I pledged to myself that I would get as much as I could, as often as I could. In fact, I joked with my kids that I was just going to be a perpetual student <laughs> because mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm, I yeah. thought the more degrees you had, you know, the more you were worth. Well, that's not really true <laughs> right, in, right. in, in this economy. But, um, but it is important to at least get, and in this day and age when you have so much competition, the least yeah. you should have is a, as, is a bachelor's degree. And right. I spent part of my career speaking in high school to students about career choices and the best decisions to make. And I'd like to think I talked a great number of fashion students, photography students, video game designers into getting a career into something more practical and doing those things in their spare time. So that, yes, I'm interested in photography, but maybe have photography as a hobby and get a degree in something more practical. Even if you don't know specifically what you want to do, get one in business. Get one in finance. Right. Get one in economics or something that can be yeah. generally applied. And then, right. you know, maybe your side hustle is your photography business. Sure. So, or you, uh, or you I, take whatever you learned in your, because I, I found that um, in college, you know, I got a degree in psychology and a minor in recording arts and did my undergrad thesis on the psychological and physiological effects of sound. I mean, what the hell do you do with that, right? But, um, <laughs> and I've had a very strange career path. But I, what I did realize was that because I majored in psychology, I learned a lot about human behavior and decision-making and different personalities. And that Mm -hmm. helped me in everything that I did. The other thing that college really did for me was it gave me a chance to grow up a little bit more. And it taught me how to think think critically. That was the best thing that I did in college. Yes. Oh, my God. And, Captain, tell me what area of your life doesn't benefit from critical thinking. I mean, that's a basic skill I think we should be teaching in high school or even grade school. But yes, I agree. college I agree. is extremely valuable in teaching us how to think critically. And especially for minority women, um, certain, and this is an ugly truth, and I'm just going to say it, certain races are given certain benefits, and that's just yeah. the way it is in our society. So if you are a minority woman, a woman and you want any sort of, job that's going to pay you a decent wage, you absolutely have to become educated. And more so, I cannot tell you the situations that I was in and found that someone with less education and paler skin had a higher paying job than I did. So I'm like, okay, well, how do I get that? Well, you need this, this. Okay, well, I'm going to do that. And I ended up with two master's degrees and a buttload of certificates and two undergraduate degrees. And even to this day, Kasten, you know my story. I decided that I wanted to re-career after Mm -hmm. being laid off, you know, twice in two years. I'm like, all right, I want to do something different. And I essentially went out and sought out the classes that I needed, the certifications that I needed, um, Mm -hmm. and I took them. And now, and just to clarify for, yeah, just to clarify for people, she did all of this not at a university. Um, you know, the internet has made it so you can get an education in just about anything on the planet. And um, you took classes on Udemy, yeah, and watched I, YouTube absolutely. videos and taught yeah. your, you know, you learned that way. And I, I think lifelong learning is a big key, right? I mean, I think about I was having a conversation yesterday with a friend of mine 
from high school, and we talked about how there's some of us that just are lifelong learners, continually trying to learn, improve, better ourselves, learn new skills, hone our skills, whatever. And I, I think that's a, a trait that really sets people apart. The other thing that I did want to mention really quickly because the listeners, this is not a, um, a video broadcast. This is an audio podcast. But, um, so I did want to just point out, because I don't think people know that Kia uh, is black, and so the whole conversation about minority women um, comes from a place of experience. Yeah, and I've been friends with you through some of those experiences where you were solidly qualified more so than anyone else and you walked into the room and you just could tell by the looks on their faces that you were not oh. going to get the job because a brown woman yeah. just walked through the door. Yeah. I Oh, M- man. Mind-boggling. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot tell you the devastation that I – in fact, I think I talked to you after one yeah, of did. those mm-hmm. episodes and I felt like being born a black person, a female – was yeah. somehow a curse that yeah. I was less valuable to a company because of the color of my skin. And I kept thinking, don't they know how awesome I am? <laughs> right, <laughs> but it right, just, right. It, was, it was a slap in the face. And I'm like, yeah. I can get more education, but I can't be white. I, I can do more yeah. hours and get more experience, but I can't be male. I, I don't know what you want from yeah. me. So, well, you and, could, and, but there's a lot of surgery. <laughs> you know? But and, no, and, I mean, and I joke about it, but it's so true. And I, I remember thinking, I can't even believe that because he is one of the most well-rounded, educated, smart, hardworking humans, not, not women, just humans I've ever met. And I couldn't imagine somebody not wanting to work with you just because of the color of your skin. It blew my mind. I, I was furious, absolutely furious. I will never forget the day that I had been laid off the second time and I was going into my second month and a recruiter said to me, wow, your education is great, your experience is great. If you were a white male, you'd have had a job a long time ago. And I thought, oh my God. Oh my God. I can't that believe that is still our reality. Absolutely. Yeah, that is. Yeah, and that wasn't that and for the listeners. That wasn't twenty years ago. That was right. No, that was a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah. So that was twenty fifteen, people. Yeah, yeah, not that long ago. But it, I, I'll be honest with you, Kasten. It did nothing but steal my resolve because yeah, nothing hyped me up more than overcoming a challenge. It just made me want to be more awesome. It just made me want to get more experience and more education and be more introspective so that I could be the most valuable addition to any company so I could show them. When I say them, I mean the haters, the people that thought, oh, well, yeah. She can't help us because of whatever. And that was one of the reasons I got out of sales is because I, I really yeah. felt like I was being judged by my external instead of my internal. Um, so, but that was a blessing too. And I okay. think I start my day at 4.30, you know, running or doing cardio and ending my day with heavy weightlifting and trying to read as much as I can on the weekend simply because I just want to be better. I want to be better. I want to be better. And maybe I'm thinking, I want to be good enough. I want to be good enough, which isn't necessarily healthy because I need to understand I am good enough. I I am. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. But But that doesn't mean we don't have have to. You've had everything in your life tell you you have to be better. I mean, you, from starting to survive on your own at seven years old and taking care of a sister, a little sister, your entire life has told you you have to be better. And I will say this, I hope that that experience of making you feel like, well, you're never going to be a fit for this job because of the color of your skin, in some respects, maybe that was a good thing that happened because it made you stop and say, I can't change that. So I can't get more education. I can't, you know, improve, improve, improve. 
at some point you have to just be enough. And since that's something you can't change, maybe that sends you a little bit more internally of like, I'm okay with myself even if they're not. Absolutely. And, and that's what you are describing has happened finally. And what's incredible is that I realize how you see yourself is how the world sees you. Because the moment I realized I was enough and that I was amazing and that I was valuable, the circumstances around me began to reflect that. Um, As you know, I just landed my dream position as a corporate consultant because Mm -hmm. I knew I I wasn't, I I was constantly a square peg trying to fit into a round hole by shaving off my corners. And my new position allows me to be the square peg that I am and help companies fix their problems. And I don't have to shave off my corners. I can go in and be fabulous and amazing, and they appreciate me, and they pay me for what I do, and then I move on to the next company because I don't think I'm meant to sit with the same company for years and years and years and do the no same girl thing. you got to spread your talents around <laughs> <laughs> and and that's where those life experiences help shape me into that I mean if you yeah look at the fact that I've changed constantly no wonder I'm like that as an adult and again I consider that to be a positive attribute that I or I can't be a, a person who is stationary I have to be that rolling stone and then I don't gather any more. Well, I, I'm truly amazed, and I really hope that anyone listening to this takes away from this podcast that you can always find the positive. And if you constantly look for the good, your life will be happier and more full. And, you know, you, you've been through more than most and still have the most amazing attitude and you're you're almost always positive. It's just mind-boggling to me. You don't carry resentment and hate. I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned from you is always trying to find the positive and learn from something and grow from it. In, in that vein, I will tell you that my secret sauce is courage, hard work, perseverance, and belief in myself. If you, and I need to add sacrifice to that because I think too often we're afraid to sacrifice or maybe a little mm-hmm. too lazy to sacrifice, but if you sacrifice, you work hard, you have courage, and you believe in yourself, there isn't anything you can't do. Who'd have thought that that 14-year-old who thought yeah. she had thrown her life away by getting pregnant would end up where I've ended up, which is extremely happy. I am in my second marriage. Um, My children are all grown and doing extremely well. I have two beautiful grandbabies. Um, I have an incredibly stable, happy marriage. And I think a large part of that is I'm happy with myself. And, and right. I'll be honest, that's not something that I ever thought I, I would have. Yeah. Mostly because I didn't feel like I deserved it. Sure. Wow. Just incredible. I, I don't even know what other questions to ask you at this point. Um, it's just been so chock full of goodness. And I will ask you some of the questions that I ask everybody at the end of the podcast. And it's just kind of more off-the-wall weird questions. So if you'll give me a couple more minutes, we'll go through that, and then I'll make sure and get you out of here. I know I've taken a lot of your time already today, but we can maybe go through some of those fun questions. How's that sound to you? Sounds great. Okay, awesome. Okay, so what is something that people assume about you but get wrong? (laughs) (laughs) As she giggles. Yes, I thought about this one. It's the fact that I've had a normal life. Um, mm. I cannot tell you how many people I meet and when they find out about my story, they go, 
Oh my God! I never would have guessed that about you. You seem so normal. Yeah, you're very put together, girl. You're very put together. Yeah. Well, I can see that. Yeah. So, uh, what do you think? Actually, I think I know the answer to this. But what do you think is your best trait? My ability to find uh, the silver lining in everything. Amen. Without a doubt. Okay. How about what is an uncommon app or website that you use all the time? Oh, my God. Uh, Brain Focus. Brain Focus. Okay, Um, tell us about that. So I have ADD, um, and so I'm easily distracted. And um, even though I'm I'm pretty disciplined, I always, you know, eat my vegetables first. You are. You are very disciplined, yes. Um, I still get distracted. And Brain Focus is an app where you can set the timer, uh, I typically do it for 20 minutes, or a lot of people do it for 25, and you focus on that one task for those 20 to 25 minutes, and then at the end of that period, a timer goes off and says, all right, take a break. And then I can peruse the internet, listen to an audio book, listen to music for five minutes, and then I focus again. And then you do this for four blocks and then you take a 20 or 30 minute break and Mm -hmm. you do this throughout your day. And I have found that it keeps me from jumping from thing to thing. That's awesome. I know a lot of us out here suffer from that. So that's great. So another question, what is your go-to when you get down? Oh, um, music. Mm, That's mine. So, I will pick a point in time where I was happy or a period of my life where I was happy and I will pick music from that era or a particular artist that uh, gets me going. And, yeah, but, and don't make fun of me, but late 90s, early 2000s, hip-hop always does it for me. I cool. get low, get low, get low, get low. I mean, that just... <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yep, every time. I know that song, so obviously I listen to it too. I know exactly what song that is. Let's see. Is there a documentary that you just love and would recommend to other people? Ooh, gosh. Um, I, I can't say a documentary per se. I can recommend a book I just read, which is semi-autobiographical that has been a big help to me. Um, And the title uh, resonates with me. It's How to Fail at Life at Almost Everything But Win Mm -hmm. Big Time by Scott Adams. And I love it because for a person who's been through a lot, you can sometimes feel like the universe is against you, but secretly you're learning all these amazing lessons and how to take those lessons and turn them into wins. It is a great, great book. And Scott Adams is the creator of Dilbert. And many people don't understand that he was classically trained as an engineer and had many disappointments in his life and really awful things that happened to him prior to him creating Dilbert. And he talks about having systems in life in order to win instead of just focusing on goals. Because if you don't achieve a goal, you somehow think that you fail. But when you follow a system, you will continually achieve, 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 achieve. And so um, that has been incredibly uh, inspirational things that I found kind of random, he kind of puts into focus and realizes there's a synchronicity there. I love it. You know, I just actually um, listened to a podcast where the, the person being interviewed wrote a book called Atomic Habits, and he talks about that very thing, of like what the difference is between goals and systems and why ah. um, one really works and the other one is just kind of nice to say. It's really good. I, I'd recommend that one too. But yeah, that's a great book. Cool. Okay. What's next for you? Ooh. So I, I have suffered a very long time uh, from not feeling good enough. And uh, I, I love a couple of years ago when they came out with Black Girl Magic because it just 
for those of us who are dark-skinned and don't have long, flowy hair, we somehow feel that, you know, we're lesser than others. Um, so the movement really helped empower me. And you would think as an adult, an incredibly successful adult, that I wouldn't struggle with feelings of inadequacy, but I do. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been until recently that I made the realization that I shared with you earlier that how you see yourself is how the world oh. sees you. And yeah. so now, next for me is to dominate corporate America by being the most thought after and coveted corporate consultants there is on the planet. So, yeah, that's next for me. Oh, I can't wait. Can't wait for you to achieve that. I'll be like, I know her. I know her. <laughs> She's on my podcast. Girl, yeah. And I have no doubt you're going to achieve that. You have achieved every single thing you've set out to do. I have. You're a master, I... You are a master manifester. Oh, my God. What a cool title. I, I absolutely love it. But I think I would be remiss if I didn't say that with success comes an obligation to share that wisdom and knowledge and expertise with those that come behind you. So in addition to becoming that master corporate consultant, I have to help the masses. I have to find a way to empower more girls, more women, more minorities to realize that you can. If you say you can, you can. If you say you can't, then you are absolutely right. But it's your choice. And the fact that you weren't born white um, does not mean it's a curse here in the United States. It just means that you are being galvanized and fortified and strengthened in a way that makes you even more likely to be successful if you apply yourself. Wow. Well, I don't, I don't know that there's a better time to end than on that note because that was so beautifully said and, and very true. Let me do this, just ask this one last, well, two last things, and then I promise I'll let you go. Where, what if somebody wants to reach out to you? What if they want some Kia wisdom and would like to be able to chat with you? Is there a way for them to do that? Yes, I, I'll give you my email address. Uh, we're in the okay. process of setting up a website that will send out daily Kiaisms, so okay. that will be fun. Um, and mm-hmm. my email address is kia dot r dot m c g u i r e kia r mcguire at gmail. Awesome, and I'll put that in the show notes so people will, can click on it. Okay. Is there anything that I didn't ask you in today's show that you wish I would have? I would say that as humans, despite everything that we see and despite what the powers that be may want us to believe, life is good. Play hard, do the work. That's, Love it. that's all I got to say. That's perfect. We'll end on that. Thank you so much for your time today, girl. You are an inspiration to me and many, many, many others. And my hope is that this podcast gets shared around the world and that young girls who are maybe teen, teens that are pregnant or in a bad marriage or whatever their situation might be, maybe they're girls of color or minority, that this podcast helps them stay focused and positive and create the life that they really want. Amen. All right. Well, until the next time, because we will do it again, Thank you again, and I hope you have a great week, and I can't wait to see you soon. Thank you very much. Love you. Love you, girl. Bye-bye.